I didn't preach this Sunday, the 31st of July 2022, so I thought I would read what I wrote for my little blog, The Sunday Bible, uh, for the reading from Luke 12, 13 to 21, the reading for this Sunday, Pentecost 8. When reading the Gospels, it's easy to imagine them set in a world of gentle, rolling, sheep-scattered, bucolic hills, dotted with picturesque villages populated by generally kind, uncomplicated agrarian people living unhurried, quiet, simple lives. Perhaps for those of us who grew up in homes with Bibles in them, this image has been reinforced by the full pastel-coloured plates that for some of us were pretty much the only art images we saw in our early childhood. In fact, the land and culture in which Jesus grew up and lived was not much like this image. This was a world acquainted with death. More than half of all families were broken during the childbearing years by death of one or both parents. Around one quarter of infants died in their first year of life and around half of all children died before they reached the end of puberty. Widows and orphans were everywhere. This was a world that knew extreme inequality. Generally, one to three percent of the population owned two-thirds of the arable land. And that was before the brutal Roman dictatorship arrived, 60 years before Jesus was born and unilaterally declared that all the land now belonged to the emperor. More specifically, in Jesus' homeland, Galilee, Rome and its client, King Herod, were destabilising the culture by building major urban centres like Sepphoris and Caesarea Maritima. The effect of these enormous building projects was to totally alter the economy and the culture of the whole region, Crops were requisitioned to supply the growing urban elite, leaving local producers to exist on just what was left. In addition, craftspeople were pulled out of the local economy and forced to work on the empire's massive projects. This was a world where the influx of Hellenistic thinking and philosophy via Rome was destabilising the givenness of traditional Hebrew thought and belief Roman soldiers from across the empire were, particularly in Galilee, being granted land on which to retire that had been forcefully taken from their Jewish owners. These immigrants were bringing with them foreign ideas and practices that challenged the established faith and culture of Judaism. Our text for this week, Luke 12, 13-21, dives right into the middle of all this. Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me, the text says. This is not only the time, this is not the only time the issue of inheritance comes up in Luke's gospel. In chapter 20, verse 14, Jesus tells a parable where tenants plot to steal a son's inheritance. And in 47 of that same chapter, Jesus accuses the Pharisees of devouring widows' houses. Given the turmoil that 60 years of brutal, dictatorial Roman occupation and Hellenistic culture had brought to Galilee, it is little wonder that centuries of tradition around inheritance were being questioned, challenged and overturned. 
We don't have much detail here in this story. It could be that Jesus' questioner is a younger brother, dealing with an older brother unwilling to do his familial, moral and even perhaps legal duty regarding inheritance. This is a matter that in a functioning culture should be sorted out by the tradition of Jewish law and by close-knit community. Instead, the culture was unravelled to such a point that the younger brother had no tradition nor community to which he could appeal. He was without options. It's no wonder when appealing to Jesus that Jesus um, that, that, that in appealing to Jesus, why as a community outsider he should be asked to adjudicate. The question behind the man's complaint goes to how a people live in harmonious community. How is a culture to be shaped to ensure justice? In response, Jesus tells the story of a rich man who is a fool. But why is Jesus calling him a fool? Surely not for storing excess grain. In the culture of the first century, this practice, culturally and socially destructive as it might have been, was not foolish. It was exactly the practice that Rome was using to control and denude the land and the villages of Palestine. And Rome was the most important world-dominating superpower. Selfish they may be, but not foolish. And surely the man was not called foolish by Jesus because he planned to eat, drink and be merry, as Luke twelve nineteen says. The Hebrew Scriptures book of Ecclesiastes commends these things to readers in exactly these words over and over again throughout the text. Moreover, Jesus himself was so committed to feasting that he used the feast as his metaphor for the kingdom of God many times in Luke. He also spent so much time eating and drinking with people that he was denounced by his enemies as a drunkard. So why does Jesus label this man a fool? He's a fool because he's living a fantasy. This, of course, not, does not make him an orphan. We all, to one degree or another, live lives of fantasy. It takes true courage to live in the reality of our moment. Whether we are facing the life-altering nature of human-induced climate change, our own individual duplicity and fecklessness, or the reality of our ageing bodies, living truth is not easy. It is often far more pleasurable to live with the little and large fantasies that pepper our days. And there is no larger fantasy than the one that reassures us that we are special. While others might suffer in the vagaries of life, we should not. Aren't we uniquely placed to avoid calamity thanks to our careful planning, our hard work, our diligence and our overall pleasantness? Why else, when the complexities and pains of life do visit us, do we ask, why me? Jesus' parable, as parables often do, turns up the gain on the contrast this man is special in the extreme, so special that he, own, he owes nothing to anyone. Whereas our text begins with a very real question about community and how it should unfold, the rich man lives only in his own world and is interested only in himself. Eleven times in the sixty words the man speaks, he refers to himself eleven times. In his world... There is no farm labourer 
no community, no parents, no children, no inheritors. There's nothing. There's no economy, cultural or religious turmoil. There is just him. He is a man alone. He is, in his own estimation, truly a self-made man. It matters not to this man that he lives in a culture and a community that requires by nature, by, sorry, by natural justice and by law that he shows care for the widow, the orphan and the stranger, as it says in the Hebrew Scriptures many times. He is totally apart from all of that. His fantasy is so deep and all-encompassing that he truly believes he is the master of his fate. Soul, he says, you have ample goods laid up for many years. His specialness, his hard work, his careful planning are all able to vouchsafe his future. But of course it doesn't. And of course it can't. Death comes to him as it does to us all. He is not a, par a man apart. He is living in fantasy. Under this fantasy of specialness is a darkness that gnaws at all of us. Perhaps we are actually far from special. Perhaps we have no substance at all. Perhaps we are little more than smoke, as the book of Psalms often says. And it is only in the accumulation of possessions and in our cultural moment what we would call authentic experiences that we give ourselves ballast and weight without what we have added, without what we possess, without what we have done, without what we display to others. Who are we? Jesus answers that our substance, our life, who we are in essence, does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, as he says in this text. The Greek word is translated as consist, does not consist in the abundance of our uh, possessions, can also be transla translated as present, that, that, that our life does not, is not present in our possessions. There is no life present in things. No new version, no different colour, no updated features, no larger barns will ever give us, give us the substance we crave. The great tragedy of this little story is that the man, hungry for substance and weight in the world, stores up the wrong treasure. Life is present only in the energy that animates the universe and puts breath into our lungs. This is the only true reality. It is not in our stuff. Jesus tells us this at the very start of this story when he says, The land of the rich man produced abundantly. It is not the man who has produced, it is the land. It is always the land. It is always the energy of creation in all its goodness. This is where substance is. This is where truth resides in the abundance of God's creative energy coursing through the universe. And this life is abundant. Our life force must be lived out in every moment. It cannot be stored. It cannot be accumulated. We cannot save time for later use. We can only live in this moment, alive to where our true treasure is, in the life we have received as a gift. Look, Jesus says in the verses that immediately follow our text, look and see the life force that is being spent extravagantly all around you. Jesus says, consider the raven. The ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, 
even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these.